Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could join us today. The holiday season is here, and I know that it can be expensive this time of the year with travel, gifts, big meals, and fancy events. And this year is looking particularly expensive. Travel prices are up, and the cost of just about everything else is high as well, thanks to inflation. But the holidays don't have to be so expensive. Today, I'm talking about being frugal and practicing mindful spending. I have two financial experts with me to share their tips and answer your questions. So think about this. What are your creative ideas and your advice for saving money during the holidays? How do you practice mindful spending? And what questions do you have for our experts about saving money during the holiday season? You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, that number is 651-227-6000. Or you can call 800 800- Two four two twenty eight twenty eight. But first, I want to check in with NPR's senior economics contributor, Chris Farrell, to get an update on the latest economic news. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, and I hope you had a wonderful holiday weekend. I did. Took lots of naps, got some rest, and uh, noted the fact, though, uh, Black Friday on Friday, lots of deals. I was getting a lot of messages in my, my inboxes. Today is Cyber Monday. And so what are you hearing about? How did how did things go? How are things going so far with this uh, shopping season? And now that it is underway. So I think two words, muted, but solid, which in a way has been the story of our economy, right, for 2022. So when I was driving around and doing errands, you know, I noticed people coming out of various stores, you know, holding bags and streets seemed a little more crowded. Than they, nothing wild, nothing but crazy, not right? Hectic, right. It wasn't mm-hmm. hectic. Um, but the credit card company, MasterCard, has its spending pulse insight. So I looked at what happened on Black Friday and retail sales activity, and it was up 12 percent year over year, 12% in-store up year over year, and then 14% on e-commerce year over year. This doesn't adjust for inflation, but again, that's a good number, shows it's an increase. And so online uh, shopping was strong. Online shopping was strong, but what's really happening here, Angela, is discounts. What selling is at a discount. Uh, and so we're seeing a lot more discounting Early on, typically, you, you know, you'd wait until January. Then you get those really big discounts. You're mm-hmm. getting them now. So that's why, like, for example, Target, you know, they came out and they said they lowered their earnings forecast because of all the discounting. And what's interesting is Walmart came out, competitor to Target, and said they raised their forecast. But the reason why they raised their earnings forecast is that better off people were coming into Walmart to do their shopping, being more cost conscious. Being more frugal. That's right. Practicing mindful spending. (laughs) So Walmart's like, we're here for you. Come on. Uh, Consumers are understandably cautious considering all the high prices, uncertainty about what's going to happen in the new year, as well as higher interest rates. And so um, what do do you see there in terms of of like surveys about like just how people are feeling? So there's a long-term survey, University of Michigan survey of consumers. It's kind of like the – it's kind of the gold standard of what – tapping into what what are consumers thinking. And sentiment, consumer sentiment declined by 5% uh, in in November compared to October. And what the survey noted is that, look, you know, so far, incomes have been good, which really reflects the low unemployment rate, the strong job growth. Um, But people are getting nervous. They're looking ahead. Am I going to have a job? Mm -hmm. And then better off people are looking at their retirement savings plans and their home values. And the world isn't coming to an end. But again, 
they're getting more cautious. So overall, they thought the decline in consumer sentiment reflected this environment that we're in. So there are people thinking about more than just, um, you know, retail sales. They're looking at like home ownership and then other things. That's right. I mean, this number really stood out to me. 83% of consumers in the survey uh, report that is a bad time to buy a house. And the main reason they were talking about that, of course, is high interest rates. Mm -hmm. And the same sentiment was in terms of automobiles, cars, uh, consumer dur durables. And then the other thing is that I pluck out of that is higher income consumers reported worse personal finances than lower income consumers. And this is only the second time this has happened. The other time it happened was in the Great Recession, 2008, 2009. And what they're seeing among the lower income consumers actually are more optimistic than the better off consumers. And is there any indication that people really have, you know, scaled back their spending because of concerns they have about inflation and the economy in the year ahead? What is really striking is how people, you know, if you think about our local area, um, they were shopping at Kowalski's. Now they're going to Cub. Uh, you know, people who might have been, you know, shopping along Grand Avenue are now going to Walmart. I mean, you really have seen a genuine shift in where people are spending their money. They've also pulled back on a lot of discretionary spending. Uh, they're taking their cars into the repair shop. You know, can you keep it going rather Instead than buying, buying a new car? Mm -hmm. So it really is rippling throughout our economy. Inflation seems to be moderating, though. It is definitely moderating. So, you know, it peaked at 9% year-over-year basis, and that was back in June. In October, it slowed to a 7.7% rate. So making some assumptions about that we don't get a big spike, for example, in oil prices, uh, really you can kind of see a path of, of the consumer price index continuing to decline in 2023. A lot of that reflects declines in rents because of all the multifamily homes that are being completed. And so a number of economists have been going like to Zillow and creating an index off the Zillow numbers on rents. And what they're showing is rents are coming down. And that then signals because it's such an important component of the consumer price index, barring something really bad, it suggests that inflation will keep going down. Chris, last Monday, we talked about the possibility of a national rail strike. Uh, any update? On that, Yes. So if there is a rail strike, uh, it looks like it would probably would be December 9th. That looks like that would be the first date that they could do it. Um, the negotiations are continuing to go to go on uh, during they're throwing questions at Pre President Biden and Martha's Vineyard on November 24th. And they ask him, um, Mr. President, are you involved in these negotiations? He said, I'm not involved in the negotiations, but my administration is because it would be a real blow to the economy. It's somewhere between two, three billion dollars a day. Wouldn't affect the holiday season because all that stuff's been delivered. But, you know, mm -hmm. looking ahead, it would have a big impact. So the White House is deeply involved. There's, these negotiations are going on. Everyone's got their fingers crossed. Because food and energy prices would likely go up. If they that would happened. absolutely go up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so we'll just keep, keep watching that. Uh, and, Workers um, at the largest, uh, you know, the, the union. What what are they upset about? What are the the issues? Uh, the what's issue, the rail union saying? It's really about uh, paid sick leave. Uh, that is really the core of the issue. There's no paid sick leave, uh, and that is what uh, the that the, the large this largest union that said no, we're not going to do this. That's what it, that's what it involves is is involved mm -hmm. about. So it's really this is more about working conditions. So far, it's not that much about pay. It's about working conditions. Mm -hmm. So 
We'll see how this goes. Understandable. Very, very understandable. I mean, you know, this is one of the things that uh, when we look ahead over the next couple of years coming out of the pandemic, one of the lessons of the pandemic is, you know, the United States is one of the few nations that doesn't have paid sick leave. And, uh, you know, this is going to be an ongoing issue. Uh, the Fed is still on track to uh, hike its benchmark interest rates um, when the central bankers get together next week. Yes. So they're still on. They're they're going to be cautious. All the Fed governors have been talking caution. Uh, Neil Kashkari, head of the Federal Reserve Bank in Minneapolis, you know, he said we're, you know, we we have to see, really see that inflation has has peaked. So the consensus expectation is that we'll see a a half percentage point increase when they next meet. This is by going through the minutes of the last meeting. And a majority of the Fed governors in the minutes that were released, you know, they seem to, not everybody, but most of them seem to suggest Hey, you know, we got to keep raising the rates. We got to stay vigilant, but we can kind of slow down the pace because the pace has been particularly dramatic. And the Fed staff said, "Look, you know, at the at the rate we're going, it's kind of like even odds whether we go into a recession or not." And in uh, this week uh, on Friday, economists are, are looking forward to getting their hands on the the latest employment report. So this is the big this is the big uh, number of the week, and obviously it really matters. And and here's the thing: the job market still appears solid. I mean. Payrolls are expected to expand around 200,000. So that would be a decline. And we've, we've had deceleration lately. But nonetheless, people are still getting jobs. And that's despite, you know, rising layoffs in the tech industry that we talked about. Unemployment rate will probably tick up a bit. But we're still down around this near 50-year low uh, with unemployment. And so, you know, I just – one of the things that really comes out of this, if you look at what's happening with – Retail sales with the holiday season, and then mm-hmm. let's say that this job report comes in a, a long expectation, somewhere around two hundred thousand. You know, there's this sort of this thread of conversation that we're already in a recession. No, we're not in a recession when people are spending money the way that they're spending money, and we're not in a recession if employers add two hundred thousand jobs. I was trying to avoid the news as much as I could over the <laughs> holiday weekend. I will admit to this. I don't. But, I don't blame you. But I, I was seeing the headlines and and some even some video of uh, protests spreading in China. Tell us what was going on there or is going on there. It's really striking because it's it's uh, over much of China. Uh, these are real demonstrations, uh, and it's about the unpopularity of the zero COVID policy, which the government has put all its prestige behind. About a hundred million people in China are in lockdown. Uh, some people in in one of the city, you know, have been locked down for a hundred days. Um, what do you mean? Like they cannot leave their homes? They can't leave their homes, you know, and you know, and then they're it's it's really quite dramatic, and so it's a rebellion against this this policy. Uh, and it's going to, obviously that's very, very important to the people who are living there. Z, who is the, uh, you know, he has, you know, gotten his third term, uh, is a challenge to his authority. No one thinks it's going to be that big a challenge to his authority, but it is a challenge to his authority. There are concerns. What will be the effect on the global economy? Global economy is slowing down and odds are this will slow the economy down even further in China, which has ripple effects throughout the global economy. Right. So they're trying to clamp down on COVID to prevent it spread. That's right. All right. All right well, Chris, stay with us uh, because we're going to talk now more about something I know lots of people care a lot about, uh, the importance of being frugal, frugality, meaning being very careful with how we spend our money. Now, we all know that the holidays can be really a tough time uh, of the year for our wallets. And there are lots of of demands, presents to buy, loved ones to visit, uh, maybe big meals to prepare. And this year is looking particularly expensive. We know travel prices are up, grocery prices are up, uh, you know, the cost of just about everything is high, thanks to inflation. And 
I believe, a lot of people believe, it doesn't have to be this way, that we can control this. Holidays don't have to be so expensive. So we're trying to, to help out today and, and listen to some advice from financial experts uh, to get some advice on saving money and to hear from our listeners as well. So let's bring in another guest we have with us. We have Jennifer uh, Garbo on the line. And Jennifer is an extension educator for the University of Minnesota Extension Center for Family Development. Joining us from Duluth this morning. Hey, Jennifer. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. Good morning to you. And uh, again, I, I want our listeners to join us in this conversation. We want to get your advice, too. What are your creative ideas and tips for saving money during the holidays? How do you practice what we call mindful spending? And what questions do you have for our guests as we talk about saving money during the holiday season? Here are the numbers to call. Call us at 651 651- Two two seven six thousand, or you can call eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight. You can find me on Twitter as well. I'm at Angela Davis NPR. So, Chris, what do we mean when we talk about frugality? And I have to tell you, the word does not sound very appealing. I know it's really terrible, and it's a wonderful <laughs> word, and it's a good thing because when you're frugality has this association with cheapness. Right, you're the person who, when you go out with a bunch of friends, is the slowest <laughs> to, to, to pull out your share. Right? I mean, that's the cheapness. You're stingy. You're, but frugality is the exact opposite of cheapness. Is the exact opposite of being stingy. Frugality really is about thinking about the quality of what you're spending your money on. It's thinking about your values. It's thinking about um, what it is you're trying to. What kind of life are you trying to live as you spend your money? And so it's very much against there's a, there's a wonderful passage. Uh, and I was reading this history of thrift book and there's a wonderful passage that what the frugal do is they support the crafts. They support the artists. They support the professional who cares about what it is that they do. So it's being very thoughtful with your money. It is not. And this is the most important or one of the most important. It is not being cheap. And Jennifer, what is, what is your response to the word frugality? And, and as you talk to families uh, you're working with, uh, do you ever use that word uh, frugal? Um, I typically stay away from it because <laughs> of the negative connotations. But I just love that description, Chris, that you gave, because it really is paying full attention to something. So that's sort of the basic definition of mindfulness. And when we apply that to economics, our own personal economics, it really does fall into that definition of frugality, which is um, really stressing good management and planning. Planning is so important. Jennifer, tell me about the work that you do. Uh, we, we said that you work uh, at the University of Minnesota Extension Center for Family Development. How, how are you spending your time in that job? Um, I help families and service providers learn how to um, stay away from the word budget, perhaps, but um, do money management. So no matter the um, amount of money you have, whether it's a lot of money or whether it's a small amount of money, we all have to manage our money. And a lot of it has to do with our values, like Chris mentioned and decision-making and what our goals are for our own individual life and even for our communities. Mm. And Chris, one of the reasons we really want you here for this conversation, we always want you here for conversations (laughs) about money and the economy. Uh, You wrote a book called The New Frugality, How to Consume Less, Save More, and Live Better, a few 
years ago. Actually, you wrote this back in 2010. So you were frugal before frugal was cool. Yes. You've been frugal a long time. Um, <laughs> why don't you want to write a book about it and really, you know, in very specific ways talk about this? So you remember, we were coming out of the recession, the 2008-2009 Great Recession, terrible recession. And there was all this conversation about I need to be more thrifty, I be, need to be more frugal. And I went back and, I, you know, one of the wonderful things that you could do now is go online and looked at all these newspaper articles after previous recessions. And everyone says, I'm going to be more frugal. I'm going to be more frugal. And then times get better. And then what happens? We start using the credit card. We start buying things. And so, but I thought there was something different coming out of that 2008, 2009 recession that meant frugality was going to have a greater hold than before. And what's different is the rise of sustainability, particularly among young people. And I was uh, at a bookstore and this young woman, you know, she you know, asked me this question. She said, you know, me and my friends, you know, we, you know, we don't try and stay up with the Joneses. What we're doing is we're competing to see who can be more frugal. Is that a good thing? And I mm -hmm. said, yes, it is a good thing. Because if you think about being green is being frugal and being frugal is green. So one of the things that's really different in our society today is that we're looking at frugality through the lens of sustainability and trying to be more conscious about our impact on the planet, our impact on our society. And frugality really fits well with a sustainability ethic. And one of the things in the book that I enjoy is that you share a lot of personal stories uh, of real people, including your family members. You talk about your grandfather, you talk about your father, uh, and what you observed and learned from them. But isn't that how many of us learn about money and money management? Absolutely. And, you know, and part of it is what do you rebel against? Because um, I grew up in a very frugal household, and that meant a lot of hand-me-downs. Uh, so I went through a period of time when I wouldn't wear hand-me-downs anymore. And uh, my father, every night, would go through and unplug all the lamps and everything because electricity is expensive. So that you would do that. But they would spend any amount of money on education. Anything that involved learning, that that was their value. That's what they, that's what they would spend money on. So they would not spend money on things. Mm -hmm. But they spent money on education, on learning, on experiences. And that really had a deep impact on me when I was looking back, and particularly when I was writing this book and I would interview my mom about some stories, um, was that a lot of frugality is what, you know, where do you really want to spend your money? Where does you get a return on your money? And what, you know, a lot of people really during the Great Recession, you know, they looked around their closets, they looked in the garage and they would say, why do I have all this stuff? Why did I buy this? But what is it that they really value? It's being with family. It's being with friends. It's learning something new. It's pursuing your curiosity. And that takes a frugality mindset. And Jennifer, and the uh, families that you work with, do you hear that story as well, that, that people say they, they learned about money from watching their parents or grandparents or other family members? Jennifer? Okay, I'm not hearing Jennifer right now. But, but that, that is a common theme, is that we learn from what we experience in our childhood, and either we follow it or we're like, I'm not doing that. I know, exactly. Okay. But it does really, you know, what you... It's not so much what your parents say or your family members say. It's what you observe that has a tremendous influence. I did not think my parents are frugal. 
That wasn't like, you know, right. growing up. That's just the way that it was. That, that's just the way it was. <laughs> but in retrospect, thinking, you know, looking back and looking back on their actions, that's what they were. So um, you also say, Chris, that buying less is better for the environment as well as our wallets. So let's talk about that. What's the connection uh, between how we choose to spend our money and the environment? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, if you think about all the things that we buy, you know, T-shirts, right? And mm-hmm tote bags and all these things. Well, you know, it has an impact on the environment because you have to, you know, it might be the cotton, then it's going to put goes to a factory Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's just, it's just too much. And that's why so many of us try and carry a tote bag to go to the grocery store. uh, So we're not always using a paper bag or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, a plastic bag that has a bigger environmental impact. So it's really, this isn't an anti-consumerism. It's like saying, well, you can't spend. Oh, don't, oh, oh, no, 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 don't spend. It's about being thoughtful and about spending your money on things that uh, will last. It's about quality. It's thinking about qual- quality as opposed to quantity and always having that lens of, okay, is this something that, you know, a couple of years from now I'm going to value? Well, thinking and time and like yeah. slowing it down. Slowing time it down. That's okay. right. We've got uh, Jennifer uh, back with us. And Jennifer, I was asking you about um, families and, and that a lot of how we learn about money and money management, it comes from like, our childhood experiences and how we watched our family members uh, navigate this. Is that what you're finding as you talk with families? Yes, absolutely. In fact, um, a lot of what um, the families that I work with, um, they learn by um, what their families perhaps didn't teach them. Mm -hmm. So money is a really interesting, there's a lot of psychological, I think, um, implications. And, you know, I've talked with a lot of people that say, my family never spoke about money. You know, I never knew how much my parents made, um, anything Mm -hmm. like that. Whereas other families, there was, you know, it was an ongoing conversation. Um, Oftentimes, um, individuals that may have grown up in a poverty situation, there's a lot of fear around money and lack of resources. So there's all different ways that um, children, I think, take in information and process money. And Chris, as you mentioned, um, when you became an adult, you know, perhaps you weren't really interested in wearing a lot of hand-me-downs when, when you first started working, but, <laughs> I'm but you wear kind what of I want. came back to that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You, you came back to that because you saw the value in it, in what your your parents were teaching you. And that's what I find in my work as well. And Jennifer, what about the thought that uh, buying less is better for the environment? I think the younger generations are much more environmentally conscious, perhaps, than maybe some um, people in my generation who are a bit older. Although we are learning and we, I think we understand that, you know, our earth can only sustain so, so many, um, you know, textile heaps that are in, you mm-hmm. know, that we would ship, you know, when we buy fast fashion, for example. So I do think that there is more interest in quality um, over quantity. We're talking about what it means to be frugal and to practice mindful spending. 
And I want to hear from you. What are your creative ideas and tips for saving money during the holidays? How do you practice mindful spending? What questions do you have for our guests about saving money this holiday season? Are you online right now checking out Cyber Monday deals? <laughs> Give us a call at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. Uh, let's bring in some phone calls from listeners in Woodbury. Wendy is on the line. Good morning, Wendy. Thank you for calling in. And what do you want to share with us? Good morning. Yes, I, I love how your guest said he was frugal before frugal was in. Uh, no, I think I even <laughs> predated him. And then uh, there's a St. Paul columnist. Uh, she or maybe she's no longer there. Everyday cheapskate. Mm-hmm. I could tell her a thing or two. And it's I just have made uh, a hobby out of saving money. Even uh, my daughters went to proms and, you know, formals. I found their gowns at consignment stores, on mm-hmm. Craigslist, gorgeous dresses. And then sometimes I would flip them and make money. Oh, wow. Resell them. And uh, yeah, so they grew up that way. We didn't need to, but it did permit me to be a stay-at-home mom and doing the cooking. We didn't eat out a lot. We could have, but you know. I enjoyed cooking, and it wasn't as healthy. But, uh, yeah, my dad had an adage long ago. He said, when you buy things you don't need, you're stealing from yourself. And I always think about that. You're stealing from that future self that wants a vacation, needs a new car. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to walk away from something. And if it still preys on your mind, I I think I need that. I could use that. You know, compare price. You can go back and buy it, but uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm such a thrifter, and uh, it helps now that I'm a senior. I get an added discount. That's right. So, All right. Yeah, I just yeah, it's uh, it's the new thing, and I'm happy that mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's called reverse snobbery. There's another <laughs> term. Uh, go ahead and brag that you got it at a thrift store. You can find brand new things at thrift stores with labels. That's what everybody's getting for Christmas this year is something <laughs> I found and they know it. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's uh, Wendy and Woodbury who's putting some swagger on being frugal. I, I love that. What do you hear in her story, Chris? The most important thing that I heard in her story is that she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And that was the value. That was the goal. And so being, she then created a thrift habit because really, if you think about anything about personal finance, <clears throat> excuse me, it's really about a habit. So that habit of being thrifty supported the goal of being mm-hmm. a stay-at-home mom. That was the value. So your money is supporting a value, a life, a way that you want to live your life. That's the most important thing I took away. And Jennifer, I, I heard Wendy mention the fact, you know, you want to take a vacation. So Think about how you're spending your money. Like if, if you have this goal that that can help you remain uh, frugal or be very mindful in how you're spending your money because you have this goal that that's your your true priority. Right. Planning and setting goals is really important. Um, I think I so I have four children and our most memorable holiday we ever spent was when we all went on vacation together. Mm-hmm. So there was no decorating. There was no extra food costs. All of our resources went into this family vacation together. And the kids, it was absolutely the most memorable time, the most memorable holiday. It was great. We came home and there wasn't a lot of things to deal with. And so, you know, but that took, that was our goal. That was our priority as a family for the year. And and we saved and planned and we made memories that will last a lifetime. 
Let's take another phone call. In Golden Valley, Amber is on the phone. Amber, thank you for listening and for calling in. And what do you want to say? Hi, thank you so much for Mm -hmm. this important discussion. And I just have to bring up um, the privilege behind uh, being frugal. And Mm -hmm. I've noticed among the minimalist uh, trend that um, it seems to be a privilege, you know, to make a choice to be frugal. Mm -hmm. Because for many people, uh, their income only allows them to, or in many cases, doesn't even allow them to pay for the basics. Right. Right. Uh, Amber there in Golden Valley. And and Chris, you talk about this too. Often just in (laughs) much of your writing and when you're on the radio and in your book, uh, if you do have a very, very limited income, um, how does this conversation sit differently with you? So if you're living on limited income, the thing that is wrong is people have this image that if you're living on a limited income, you don't know what you're doing with your money. And the thing is, you do know where every penny is going. Mm-hmm. And so, by definition, you are frugal. Mm-hmm. You're, and you're, you know where you're spending your money. You know what you can't spend your money on. And you're very cost conscious, extremely. But we also live in a society where there is an enormous bombardment at everybody. The merchants of debt have are extremely creative at coming up with ways. When you look at an ad for an automobile... It doesn't say this car is going to talk, cost you if you t- take out a loan. This car, which wherever is going to cost you $26,000. What they say is you can have this car for $180 a month. And you do that and you think, well, okay, maybe I can stretch and do $180 a month. But it's going to cost you a lot of money. So my feeling on this is not so much that it is it, there. there is a privilege element to it, but it's also you're fighting against – a lot of the forces in society that are saying, take out that credit card. You know, you should you should go into debt. Uh, yeah, you want that now? Go get it. And what we're saying is you want to be more sustainable. You want to be more conscious of your spending. You want to have greater independence. But it is absolutely true. If you don't have much, if you're living on a low and unstable income, you're frugal because you have no choice. Jennifer, what are your conversations like with people who uh, don't have enough money to cover the basics, like rent and their groceries? Like, what are you talking about with them about what they can do, uh, the best decisions with how they spend their money? Well, I have to agree with Chris that people with really extremely low incomes, especially um, are the best money managers because they have they be. do know where every they absolutely have to be and so it's frugality out of necessity and they show their children and grandchildren that way of of decision making and what's more important and to prioritize needs versus wants and when there's a really limited discretionary income it becomes really important these decisions for example around the holidays and gift giving um, that may not really elevate to a high priority if rent needs to be paid. And so, um, you know, there are different systems, money management systems for saving, um, even people with extremely low incomes, like a cash envelope system, for example, Um, because, you know, gift giving and holidays and traditions are really important for all families with different economic situations. So Mm -hmm. I learn a lot from, the families I work with. And, you know, oftentimes as an educator, we go in and we have these resources and we have this education to provide, but I often leave classes uh, with much more knowledge and insight. And I'm quite amazed at how families are able to stretch a dollar and still make sure that 
they're creating nice memories for their families. Let's go back to the phone lines in Maplewood. Nick is on the phone. Hi, Nick. Good morning. Hello. How are you? I'm well. What's going on in your household? Yeah. So, you know, we have a small family and we, it took until we were in my twenties when my brother and I, um, brought up to our parents that maybe we should stop doing gifts because we were all just buying each other stuff to do stuff. And they were so relieved. They were thinking the same thing, but they thought Mm -hmm. it was so important for us to receive gifts. So now instead of getting together and giving each other, you know, five to 10 different gifts each, and we're just overloaded with stuff, we do white elephant gifts. And so we all just buy one thing for under $20. We still get the excitement of opening up a present. We all get to hang out and talk and laugh and people get stuck with random stuff. And, you know, when it comes to like um, gift giving, it's like, how many sweaters can you really give grandma, you know? (laughs) And uh, Nick, give me an example. Tell me about some of the white elephant gifts, as you call them, that, that you have exchanged over the years. What stands out to you? Yeah, so last year I ended up with, like, a survival kit from, like, Eddie Bauer. It was, like, a little tin can with fishing line and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. We found um, a really cool pink vase that had, like, birch bark on it and all this stuff, actually on the side of the road in White Bear. And it was super cool looking, Mm -hmm. so we put that as our gift. And it was actually the top gift, and it was free. So um, it was – and my dad went away with that one, which was very unexpected. And um, But then otherwise, you know, chocolate, um, just things – kind of random random things and it's so much more fun when you don't have to shop for one person you just shop as like a a, a hive mind mm-hmm. and again uh it sounds like you guys it's excitement like what is it going to be and you don't feel bad of having about having all that excess totally and you know and the big thing was is like i was even the one that was benefiting the most because i get paid the least my parents are both retired my brother's got a really good finance job. So I was like getting all these good gifts. And it was probably the hardest for me to say, let's not do this because, you know, I was the one, you know, getting the good stuff. But I was also forking out way more money than I could afford to give my parents gifts. And they have everything that they Mm -hmm. technically need. Thank you, Nick. That's Nick calling in from Maplewood with with an idea about gift giving. In Minneapolis, let's talk to Becky. Becky, what can you tell us about uh, mindful spending? Hi. um, Hi. I would like to put in a plug for Buy Nothing groups. They're on Facebook, by neighborhoods. People can post what they want to give away or what they need. And I have gotten and given really great stuff. Right now, lots of people are um, using the Buy Nothing group as a re-gifting thing, which, you know, are brand new stuff often but other times they're used. So I think if um, people are interested, they should check it out for their neighborhood. Becky, I actually, I have not heard of this. So it's a Facebook group and it's called uh, Buy Nothing. Yes. And there are many, many, many groups. Um, So they're by neighborhood. So you have Mm -hmm. to be in a specific neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, I know there's one in Uptown. There's one in Hermitage, Kenny, Lindale, Wyndham. Um, And there are many, many more. So you join the group and you post when you've got something that you want to move on. And it can be anything, absolutely anything, Um, arts and crafts supplies, garden produce, tools, furniture, baby bottles that you're not using anymore, whatever it is. Excess that people want to give away. Yep, things Mm -hmm. you want to give away. And then people say they're interested, and if multiple people are interested in the same thing, which happens often, 
typically there is a deadline set for giving it away, and there will be a random drawing, and whoever wins, Mm -hmm. wins. And so it's kind of fun. Um, That's cool. People can also ask. So just today I saw someone posted that they needed some COVID tests, Mm -hmm. and suddenly several Mm -hmm. people said, oh, I've got some. I could, you know, you can have these. So um, it's a great way to support each other and it's fun as Exchange. well. Thank you. That's uh, Becky in Minneapolis. Uh, in Stillwater, Kathy's on the phone. Kathy, uh, any ideas that you want to share with our listeners? I wanted to share that for years, since my daughters were very young, like 38 years ago, we started making Christmas gifts for each other. So um, instead of buying something, it's something that you've, you've made for each other. And give me an example. Um, I'm guessing you've got some skills in terms of, of arts and crafts? So, yes, yeah, some of us will do a knitting project or a sewing project, but those who aren't crafty will give things like uh, a lovely meal or a day of work in the garden mm-hmm. or I'll help you move logs for one day and give you labor, which uh, for those of us who are retired, we appreciate even more. And it gives us oh. time to be together, too. I love that. I love that. Thank you. That's Kathy in Stillwater. Um, Jennifer, um, what way, What are some ways that, that you can suggest or have you suggested to families you work with uh, on cutting back on spending on gifts? Because um, we want to give something to the pe- people that we love for birthdays, for holidays. Right. I, I just love what your callers have shared. Um, the gift exchange is a really nice way for a larger family. I mean, it could be a smaller family as well, but I've heard of a lot of larger families to do like a, a white elephant or secret Santa gift exchange. Mm-hmm. And there are ways to make it um, pretty fun, actually. I mean, it can really, it can turn into com- competition. You know, sometimes people will re-gift like the mm-hmm. one strange gift like over <laughs> and over in the family. Like, wait a minute, so, I recognize that from last year. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. So the collar with the pink vase with the birth part, <laughs> you know, that may pop up again <laughs> in the gift giving exchange. But that's one way to really cut costs and to still uh, participate and create memories. Um, also making your own things like ornaments and things like that, especially if you have young children um, and you want to give, you know, grandparents gifts. I, I've often heard of or people have shared with me that they'll, you know, go out and collect pine cones and things with their kids. And then they come back and they they make these different ornaments and they give them to the grandparents. And it's really a limited uh, mm-hmm. cost. It's their investment of time, but it's so appreciated. And then, you know, people are creating their own gift baskets. So instead of, you know, going to the store and purchasing a basket, purchasing a gift basket, you know, if you have a family member that really loves to bake or maybe they do love to knit, you go purchase the basket and then all the individual items and, and put a nice gift basket together. So I really think that people are so incredibly creative and there's, there's sort of a certain element of, um, satisfaction and fun that you're giving something really meaningful. Mm -hmm. And it's also at a lower cost, which most people appreciate, actually. And Jennifer, don't you think the pandemic changed us? We value things. Many of us do differently. So I hear that suggestion about the gift of labor. Let me come over and rake your leaves. Let me come over and rearrange your furniture or put things away in the garage. I mean, that is, uh, for many people, would be greatly valued more so than a new shirt or a sweater. Well, absolutely. Like the caller said, how many sweaters can we buy grandma? (laughs) 
<laughs> but she may very well need, um, you know, some, right. some snow shoveling and painting. she needs things In painting, you know, mm-hmm. moving furniture around for elderly people mm-hmm. is really a huge undertaking. And it's something that, you know, if, um, the younger family members are able to come over and give their, their gift of time, they also get to share, um, that time with, their elders and Mm -hmm. they share their gift of wisdom and love with them. So it's really a beautiful exchange and um, it's a, it's a cost efficient way to show someone that you care. You know, we often hear about people say, well, my, my love language is gift giving, but that's actually not really a love language. (laughs) Your love language is your time and your energy and your effort and your thoughtfulness Chris, what have you heard in, in some of the phone calls we received? Well, I love what Jennifer said about creativity. And we just, you know, we kind of underestimate how creative people can be and expressing their love and, and um, you know, having an impact, getting together. But, you know, just these, you know, gifts that don't cost that much money. And there's a couple of laughs along the way. But the other thing is these buy nothing groups. You'd asked earlier about less is more. And the nice thing about these buy nothing groups is it's typically – uh, you no longer need this crib, but you don't know anybody to give it away to. You don't have a family mm-hmm. member or friend. And so you reach out to your neighborhood. Hey, does somebody need this? I'm not trying – you know, I I want this to be used. And then that person, whoever takes it, doesn't have to go to a store and buy a new one or go – you know, they can just kind of use it. So it's really a nice way of thinking about recycling mm-hmm. and not having to buy something new. And it's good for both – the neighbor in the neighborhood. And so, and these online tools are really useful, these online groups. And then if you do need to make money, it's also another way you can use other uh, online groups to sell your stuff. And again, you're still not, uh, you know, you're still getting that, you're recycling Mm -hmm. this piece of furniture that you don't need. And if you need the money, you make a little money. And I I feel like if ever there was a time that people will understand, uh, it would be this year. You know, I think the expectations um, and just how powerful that is. If we, we were to remove those expectations from ourselves or, uh, you know, expectations of others of like, I'm going to get this fabulous gift, uh, that, that that would be so empowering. It would help relieve a lot of the, the stress. Relieve a lot of the stress. And it's also, you know, sort of, again, echoing what Jennifer was saying, you know, it's about thinking about the people that you want to celebrate with. And being planning and being thoughtful about it. And what really makes a difference? Mm-hmm. I mean, what is it that's really going to matter? Let's take a phone call from a listener in Rochester. Alexander is on the phone. Good morning, Alexander. What did you want to share with us as we talk about mindful spending and, and being frugal? Uh, mindful spending. I've been a single dad for most of my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, really buying clothes at Goodwill and Salvation Army saved a lot of money for my kids and I. i got four kids. They're all adults, and they all went through college. So I like what Chris said about spending money on education uh, helped my kids get through college. It was a good thing, great thing. They're all doing very well. But just saving money, like turning the heat down to when the kids weren't home to about 60 degrees and just putting on another couple layers of sweaters and, you know, making casseroles, a lot of potatoes, a lot of, you know, just uh, an inexpensive food budget. And then for the holidays, giving them something that warms them up of giving them wool socks for 30 years and uh, in cash. It just works. So, so uh, Alexander, you know, things like that, just just being just as frugal as possible and just not spending money in, except for necessities and using 
you know, uh, garage sales and the Salvation Army to uh, to raise my family. So they're adults now, uh, the four of them, Alexander. So when they were growing up, you were keeping your eye on the prize. You were thinking about, I'm oh. going to save money for your education? You betcha, big time. That's mm-hmm. That was the number one goal, to get them through college and on their own. All right. and, it, and it worked. Thank you. Chris, in your book, uh, The New Frugality, you write about being cold and putting on an extra layer. <laughs> yes, yes. Up I, I was relating when he was... <laughs> I saw you nodding. Yeah, you write about I've, that in your book. Absolutely. That was always, uh, we didn't turn out the heat, we just put on a heavier sweater. All right, let's take another phone call in Minneapolis. Uh, Kathy's on the line. Hi, Kathy. Oh, hi. Good morning. Hi. <laughs> Thanks much. And, and the previous caller, yes, I shop at the uh, thrift stores too. Um, I was going to mention a couple points here about what our family did and what I did. Um, first of all, I shopped all year long for Christmas gifts, and it wasn't a huge list. I had 14 people in my family to buy for, or friends and family. Oh, wow. And I would <clears throat> I would make up this list, and, you know, say come in the summertime, I would see a pair of gloves on sale that my aunt would want. Mm-hmm. So I would get that and put it away in the closet, and then it saved me money because I spread the, the expense throughout the year. But the other thing is, come the cold weather in December, when the snow and cold and everything, I didn't have to go out in the bad weather. I had everything already and just wrap it and, you know, gift it. And the other point, the second point is, um, our credit union had a Christmas club. So you put away a small amount of money every month in this dedicated account, and then in early November, the credit union would send you a check for your holiday expenses. And for us, that was really nice because, again, you spread it throughout the year. But for our family, Christmas was really a religious holiday. So the gifting and the huge pile of presents wasn't what we were about. We we were basically in church a lot. And so mm-hmm. that those are my two, you know, go-to points about um, frugal and, and meaningful holidays. All right. Thank you. Uh, let's take another phone call. In Grand Rapids, uh, we have Karen on the phone. And Karen, what do you want to tell us in our last uh, couple of minutes here? Yeah, in uh, January of 2020, my husband and I bought an antique store, Clara's uh, Clara's Cupboard. And then, of course, we had to be shut down because of COVID. But in June of 2020, we opened up a um, used clothing store right in the middle of the pandemic because uh, we only had a goodwill and a salvation army in town. And we wanted the money to stay local, so we give money to our local uh, Second Harvest Food Bank. And... Because people are thrifting and looking for good deals, uh, we have been able to give $10,000 to um, Second Harvest Food Bank this year, which we're, like, super proud of. And people come into our used clothing store and just get so excited by the nice things that have been donated. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten so many donations that we're opening up a third Clara store in January where the clothes will actually be free for people that are in need in our community. So I just wanted to thank people who are generous and give and help us be able to spread um, the goodness to people that need it, both the food and the clothing. Thank you. That's Karen in Grand Rapids. So uh, we do have some control and power, um, Chris, even if we don't have all the money that we wish we had. That's right. I mean, here's the thing. The, 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 the gratitude that she was just expressing, um, the creativity of all our callers, what they've been saying. And it's really about just being thoughtful. 
All right. We want to thank uh, our guests and our listeners today as we talk about mindful spending on this Cyber Monday. We've been talking with Jennifer Garbo, who works as an extension educator for the University of Minnesota Extension Center for Family Development, joining us from Duluth this hour. Thank you, Jennifer. And Chris Farrell, who's here in the studio with me, NPR's senior economics contributor. Today's conversation was produced by Samantha Matsumoto. Be safe, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.